0: We're back in Nehemiah tonight, and so take your Bibles and find Nehemiah chapter 9, and if you would, stand to honor the reading of the Word of God, remain standing for a moment of prayer. It's a lengthy chapter, it's 38 verses that we're going to read together, but I think that as you listen to what took place, we won't have any problem standing to hear one chapter of the Scriptures read for about two and a half minutes. Now on the twenty-fourth day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dirt upon them. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Now on the Levites' platform stood... And he mentions all of these names. And then verse 5, Then the Levites, and he mentions the Levites. And he said, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. You are the Lord God who chose Abraham and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, of the Amorite, of the Perizzite, of the Jebusite, of the Girgashite, to give it to his descendants. And you have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground. And and their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into the raging waters. And with a pillar of clouds you led them by day and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. Then you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So you made known to them your holy Sabbath and laid down for them commandments, statutes and law through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for them for their hunger. You brought forth water from a rock for them for their thirst. And you told them to enter, enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, This is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies, you, in your great compassion, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, forty years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. You also gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted them to them as a boundary. They took possession of the land of Shihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. You made their sons numerous as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land which you, hold, which you told their fathers to enter and possess, so their sins entered and possessed the land, sons entered and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and you gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possession of houses full of every good thing. Hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in your great goodness. But they became disobedient and rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had admonished them so that they might return to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their oppressor who oppressed them. But when they cried to you in their time of their distress, you heard from heaven. And according to your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. But as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before you. Therefore, you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. When they cried again to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you rescued them according to your compassion and admonished them in order to turn back to your law. Yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he shall live. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not listen. However, you bore with them for many years and admonished them by your Spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardships seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this day. However, you are just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully. But we have acted wickedly, for our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions, which you have admonished them. But they, in their own kingdom, with their great goodness, which you have given them, gave them, with the bro- with the broad and rich land which you set before them, did not serve you or turn their, from their evil deeds. Behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which you gave to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves in it. Its abundant produce is for the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. May God add a blessing to the reading and now the preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come together and we examine this great lengthy prayer of Nehemiah chapter 9. I pray, Lord, that it would become a model for us in how we pray and how we think about worship and how we respond to you and to the hearing of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Scanning. Let's see. Hazel's not back tonight, is she? No, I didn't see Hazel make it back tonight. I saw Hazel this morning, and and I wondered what Hazel's thought would be of the way that we've made changes in the last two years. Those of you that have been here, you know that change is gradual. If you think about growth with your children, what you think about with your children is is that you typically don't look at your kids. You don't wake up every morning and look at them and say, "My, you're growing. My, you're look how big your feet are getting. Look how tall you're getting." Typically how we notice growth in our children is when it's time to go back to school in the fall and we put the pants on that they had on in May. In August, the pants don't fit. They're, they're ready for a flood of New Orleans catastrophe style, right? Because sh- their pants are this short. So we march them over to the door and we have them stand next to the door and we say, oh my goodness, you've grown an inch or two inches or three inches. I, I knew one pastor that everywhere that he moved with his children, he took one door frame with him because he began marking the children's height. So everywhere they went, they had this one door frame with them where they marked the children's height. So they all, they had all of the kids and how they had grown and had it marked on the door. We typically don't recognize growth while it's happening. We, we look at it in, in big chunks through time. Well, you've been here through the changes at Memorial Baptist, so you've become accustomed to the way that we worship. And hopefully what happens when you get these rare opportunities, very, very rare opportunities to go someplace else to worship, what you recognize is you recognize the, the vast difference. And I don't just mean in the bells and whistles. I mean in the content of what you get when you go somewhere else. What it's lacking or, 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 or what it has that it maybe probably may not should be there. But you've been here to grow with this. Where someone who's left our church for years... And then comes back, it's like, it's like getting out of the hot tub and into the cold pool. Or let me reverse that. Maybe getting out of the cold pool and into the hot tub. Let's reverse it that way, okay, for that analogy. So it's just this massive change. And I was surprised that she didn't ask me any questions about, hey, you know, what's, you know, tell me, tell me about how we've made, you know, she didn't any of that. She just said, wow, you know, it's just like being back home again. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm glad. That's wonderful. I'm glad but I was ready if she would have said tell me about how some of these things have come about I would have said come back tonight come back tonight Nehemiah chapter 9 is a perfect example of why we've made some of the changes that we've made Nehemiah chapter 8 and Nehemiah chapter 9 Nehemiah chapter 9 is is one of the three one of the three longest prayers in the Bible it's funny how they're all nines it's Ezra 9 Nehemiah 9 and Daniel 9 and they're considered the three great prayers of the Bible and what these prayers... These are public prayers. This morning when Adam came and Adam read Scripture, or Adam led Adam us corporately in our corporate confession, I want you to look in your bulletin. Take your bulletin with me just for a second. I put the text right in the bulletin. Just, just for some folks that may not understand why do we have corporate confession of sin. I want you to look. This text is, this is directly out of your Bible. Psalm 32, 5. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's just a quote right out of the text. And then if you notice, what did, we, what did we confess together? We just confessed Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. And we just did it confessionally as a body. What we did, what we're doing is just Scripture. That's what we're doing. We're just doing what we see in the Bible. Well, when we come to Nehemiah chapter 9, what we come to is a public confession session. I was wondering when, when Adam was praying this morning, sometimes I wonder about what people think about lengthy prayers. It's called the pastoral prayer, what he's doing. And it's intended to be a, the, the longest prayer of the service. And it's, and it's meant to be. Not just for time's sake, let's just say the same thing, like a mantra over and over and over. But there's a progression that I've asked the elders to follow. And we begin by exalting God. And we thank God for His goodness and His mercy. And we confess that we're sinners. And then we pray for forgiveness and receive forgiveness and then we move into interceding actually for real, for real things. For real problems. Now some of you have said, hey, I appreciate you praying for us, but we're okay, we're healthy, we're moving on or whatever. But we pray for real concerns in corporate worship because you know what? You shouldn't just come to church to go through the motions. You ought to come to church and think to yourself, I want to go to church and be prayed for. I want to go to church and I want to be encouraged. I want to go to church and I want to be in my covenant community and I want to renew my covenant with my covenant brothers and sisters. By the way, that's the, that's the context of chapter 10. It's a whole covenant renewal service. And there's the signing of a document and all of this, you know, we're going to see that next week. When we get to chapter 9, it's about public confession. We don't hear much about repentance today in in a lot of places where we should be hearing about repentance. See repentance Repentance means that we acknowledge that we've sinned. What we hear about is we hear about why we have an excuse for why we've sinned. I get so tired of people coming and saying to me, well, I'm a product of my environment. My parents did this X, Y, or Z. You know what? If your parents messed up with you, uh, today. today's my anniversary, 19 years today. We were at lunch today and I told Seth, I said, Seth, I've officially had mama longer than her daddy had her. And she said, not really. I didn't leave home until I was 19. And I said, Seth, next year I've officially had mama longer than her daddy had her. I said, but technically I've had her longer because she's been able to communicate with me very clearly for these last 19 years. I've understood every word. Her daddy had to wait three or four or five years before he understood her. She said, trust me, he understood me loud and clear. We don't hear much about confession in our services. What we hear about is products of our environment. We hear about how our parents messed up with us. Let me tell you something. Um, I'll trade war stories with you about childhoods. There are a few of you that are going to outdo me. There are a few people that are going to outdo me about childhoods. Okay? But I'll tell you something. Eight or nine or ten years or twelve years as a child in a dysfunctional home doesn't dictate the remaining sixty or seventy that God gives me. And it shouldn't dictate it with you either. And there may be some traits that have happened in your life that you look back upon that you want to break, some family traits. You ought to break those because if Christ lives in you, you're a new creation in Christ and you have no excuse. And you can't look to your parents and say, I do this because of my parents. Let me tell you something. If you're 30 or you're 40 or you're 50 years old, your mom and dad are no longer responsible for what you do. You do what you do because you're a sinner. And you do it because you choose to do it. What we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 9 is they don't make any excuses for their father's sin. You know what they do? They don't look back and say, God, forgive us because our fathers were sinners and we're just products of our environment. They say, God, forgive us. Our fathers were sinners and we followed right in their footstep. We're sinners too. What we see in Nehemiah chapter 9 is we see there's, three, there's just three, three big overarching points that I want to point out to you in, in, in about seven minutes. The first one is this. We're all prone to sin no matter what your environment has been growing up. We're all prone to sin. It doesn't matter whether you grew up in a home, a perfect home. If you grew up in the home where your mom and dads loved God and they had family devotions every day, you know what? I, I, I'm amazed at how... I'm the pastor and I'm amazed at how often I fail in my parental in my raising of even my own kids, if my kids turn out to love God, it won't be because of me. It's going to be by the grace of God. The same reason why your kids are going to love God, it won't be because of you. It'll be because of the grace of God. Okay, I thank God that my children's spiritual development doesn't ultimately rely on me. It relies on God. Now, God has given me some responsibility, and I take it serious, and I try to do the best that I can do in that. But I fail miserably. I fail miserably. But I'll tell you this. Ultimately, I trust in what God's going to do with my kids. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter whether you had the absolute best child-rearing or you had the absolute worst, the most horrific there is. We all still sin miserably. That's what we see in this text. I mean, this is the children of Israel. Let's, let's just work through the first couple of verses, the prologue to the prayer in 1-5. through five. Real quick, we're not going to read through the whole chapter again, but I want to point out a few things to you. He says on the 24th day. Now remember, this is on the heels of the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is on the heels of what he told them in chapter 8, verse 10. Go and eat of fat and drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared for this is the holy day to our Lord. Do not be grieved for joy of the Lord is in your strength. What he said in, in chapter 8, verse 10 was, this is a time of rejoicing. There will be plenty of time for weeping. And now this is the time of weeping. It's two days after the feast is ended. That's what we get. because He dates it in chapter 9, verse 1. So we know 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 from the context of chapter 8 to chapter 9 verse 1 that the Feast of Tabernacles has taken place and now they've moved on. It's two days later and you know what they didn't say? They didn't say we had church two days ago. We had it for a couple weeks in a row. They came to the people and said, you know what? We need to hear some more of the Word of God. There's been a famine in the land. We want to hear the Word of God. And so they began to read the Word of God to them. Is what they began to do. Notice the timing that they put into it. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners. This is verse 2. And they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They didn't stand up and say, God, forgive us. We're a product of our environment. We 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 don't we had the unfortunate misfortune. We had the un, un, un unpleasant misfortune of coming from parents who just persistently rejected your will. They said, "God, we're sinners. We're sinners and our fathers are sinners." And while they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. What's taking place there? It isn't just reading, I think. I think there's exposition going on here. There's reading and explaining and reading and explaining. And after they heard the word of the Lord, for another fourth of the day, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Do you get that? Now, notice their prayer. The prayer picks up in the second part of verse 5. He mentions the Levites. And then what we pick up here is, Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessings and praise. It's a prayer. That's what follows. Now, notice what he does. The first thing he does is he acknowledges God as creator in verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You've made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, and all their hosts. And then in verse 7, he addresses the fact that they're descendants of Abram. You know, this is the only place outside of Genesis where we see Abram's name changed to Abraham. It's the only place that records it outside of Genesis. It says, you are the Lord God. Notice what he says. Who chose Abram. Let me tell you something. You're never going to get away from the doctrine of election. My sister said to me, I've been trying to disciple my sister to some greater truths and a bigger God. And she said to me one day, she said to me, I don't know if I believe everything that you've said to me or not. And I said, well, that's fine. I said, but I'm going to tell you this. You'll never be able to be the same for the rest of your life. Because I've ruined you on your small view of God. I'll guarantee you that. And she emailed me one day and said, I'm ruined. Everywhere I read my Bible, I see it now. You know, let me tell you something. The doctrine of election isn't just taught in Romans 9. It's not just taught in Ephesians 1. It's from beginning to end. God is sovereign and you're a sinner. And God sovereignly chooses the sinners He saves. And in this prayer, they acknowledge, You chose Abram. And you brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. He talks about Abram right here in verses 7 and 8. And then in verses 9 through about 14, he talks about the Sinai experience. And they remember the Sinai experience. And then in verse 15 and following, he talks about what took place in the wilderness and how they acted arrogantly. I find it interesting that he describes in verse 10 the Egyptians who acted arrogantly. And then he says in verse 16, the exact same Hebrew phrase, for they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. Our fathers acted just like the unbelieving Egyptians. And by the way, why did God save Abram and his descendants? He tells us that in verse 10 as well. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them and made a name for yourself as it is this day. God saves you, not for you, but for Himself. God is most in love with His own glory. For any other created being, it's sin. But for God, it is not sin. Because the best thing that God can give you is Himself. That's the best thing God can give you. Not a house, not a mate, not money, not health, not happiness. The best thing God can give to you and me is himself. God is about his own glory. You know why? Because he is the supreme being of the universe and his glory is magnificent. It is not wrong for God to be about his own glory because he is the most glorious being in the universe. And so when God saves wicked, vile sinners like you and me, he does it for his own glory. Now, do we get, a, do we get some good out of that? You bet we do. You bet we do. Do you have a father-in-law that you've not necessarily liked? But he loves his daughter. And periodically he sends his daughter money. He doesn't send his daughter money because he loves you. He doesn't like you. You don't like him. But do you receive the benefit from it? You bet you do. He does it for his own glory and the good of his daughter. And you receive a benefit from it. Let me tell you something. God saves you for his own glory. And we receive a great benefit from it. This prayer, he's, he's going through all of this. He's recounting all of this, this movement. And then he gets to verses 26 through 29. And what is that period of history that he's talking about? Uh, the people worship you, and, and they receive deliverance, and then they go back to their ways, and you send a conqueror, and then they repent and worship you, and you give deliverance, and then they go back to their way. What period is that? The period of the judges, right? It's that period of that cyclical judgment where they worship and then they get judged and they worship and they get judged. I, know, look, I love the way that he describes God in verse 31 though. Nevertheless, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. We're all prone to sin. Don't pick on poor Israel here. Look how bad Israel is. Look in the mirror. I mean, just look in the mirror. We're all prone to sin. Listen, this—it's no one is excusable for their sin, but Israel certainly is not excusable for their sin. I mean, they had the power. They had the 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 fire by day, or the the cloud by day, and the fire by night. They had the parted Red Sea. They had they had manna from heaven and water from a rock. How in the world could they? How in the world could they not trust God? Hey, how in the world can you and I not trust God? We have the complete written word of God. Everyone has at least one copy of their own in their own hand to carry with them day and night. How in the world can we not trust God? How many times have we seen God answer prayer, and yet how many times do we run back to the same, the same, the same pattern? So what do we do? We acknowledge the fact that we're great sinners. That's what we do. Let me tell you what else we see, though. I want you to know that God is rich in His mercy. Look at verse 17. Look at, look at how, they, how they confess their sin. Look what they confess about God in verse 17. They refused to listen, did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Look at the conjunction. But you are a God of forgiveness. gracious. And compassionate. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what sin you've slipped back into. You fall upon your face, you will find a gracious, compassionate, forgiving God. That's good news, isn't it? I want to tell you what, the world needs to hear that. Sometimes, some of you need to hear that. Now, there are two types of people in the world, basically. There's the one kind of person that they can never get over their sin. They're constantly rerunning it over and over in their head. And they need to meditate on Romans chapter 8. Okay? Because we're justified in Christ. But there's another kind of person in the world. And that's the world that can themselves a Christian and they can sin and just say, Well, it's under the blood. Well, it's under the blood. And they need to meditate on Nehemiah chapter 9. Because Nehemiah chapter 9 is an honest self-evaluation. Looking in the, in the mirror and saying, God, this is who I am. I'm a sinner. You know, some people don't like to be able to even hear that term. There are some folks that would not want to come to our church just for the sheer fact that we corporately confess... Week in and week out, God, we're sinners. We're miserable sinners. We've failed. We've fallen. We've faltered. We're crooked. We're corrupt. We've not kept your law. But then we always come back and say, give us forgiveness in Christ. And we receive the forgiveness in Christ. We don't walk around with the burden on our back. It isn't like we take the burden and lay it down here, and when the service is over, pick it back up. No, we come to the service and the burden is gone. We put the burden back on our back out there. We come and renew our covenant with Christ, and the burden is wiped away. Because if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgiveness. Because we serve a compassionate, loving, kind God. Notice what he says in verse 19. He says it again in verse 19. He says, You and your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. You know what he's saying? I think he's saying, I can't believe you didn't forsake them in the wilderness. But he doesn't. He didn't forsake them. Let me tell you something. It is impossible for God to forsake one of his children. He who began a good work in you is faithful and true to complete it to its end. If you are a believer and you're struggling with sin, let me tell you something. I don't know why and how and I don't know what all the intricacies are and what God is doing in your life, but I can guarantee you this. God's not done with you yet. Sometimes I believe God gives us tinch, gives us slack in our rope to remind us that we're no better than the other guy down the street but by the grace of God so go I I mean are you ever amazed at how wicked you can be maybe not in your actions but in your thoughts maybe in your actions too are you ever amazed that I am I'm amazed at how wicked I can still be but let me tell you something but by the grace of God I'd be far worse than I am We serve a compassionate, forgiving God. Notice what he says in verses 20-25, through how he's described again. He says, You gave your good spirit to instruct them. Well, there's no Holy Spirit until we get to Pentecost. Really? Well, what's this doing here then? This must be a mistake. Because the Holy Spirit's present in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Your manna you did not withhold from their mouth. You gave them water for their their thirst. Indeed, for forty years you provided for them. You know what he's saying here? You met every one of their needs above and beyond. No excuse. We're all sinners. We're all sinners, but we serve a a God who is full of mercy and grace. Let me just close quickly so that we're not running too far over by telling you that the third thing that I see from Nehemiah chapter 9 is that repentance should mark our life. Repentance should mark our life. I had someone recently say to me, I don't like the corporate confession of repentance because I've already repented. I'm in Christ. Really? So you need no longer need to repent? No, I don't. So you no longer sin? Well, yes, I do. But you sin and don't need repentance? No, I don't. Really? That's not what I see in my Bible. My Bible says if we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar and the truth is not in us. My Bible says that we should confess our sins unto we'll another. We should, have a compa- we should have a partner that we say to somebody, Hey, I've sinned. I mean, the Bible says here that repentance is an ongoing thing until we get to heaven. You know why? Not because it breaks our relationship with God. And nothing can break our relationship. We're adopted sons. All that you have given to me, the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays in John 17. All that you have given to me, I shall lose none of them, Jesus says. He who began the good work in you is faithful and true to complete it to its end. It is we don't repent on a regular basis because it somehow causes God to go back into the court and say, "I want to turn that adoption around. I don't want to adopt him any longer. He's not a good son." We had a friend when we were in the army, and he was a colonel, retired colonel, and and he had a biological daughter and he adopted a son, and he had this boy through and he had this boy through foster care system and he raised him up and the boy was a pain. I mean, he was in trouble from day one, always in trouble with the law always in trouble with the law. And I met him a couple of times. And I mean, he was something else. But I want to tell you something. That family never stopped loving him. That family never stopped calling him his son. Every time he was in trouble, he called his dad, and his dad did what he could do. Every single time. And I used to think to myself, why didn't he tell him, I'm done with you? I'll tell you why he doesn't say that I'm done with you because he adopted him as his son. He took on his name and there's no one doing that. Now it might be possible to undo it in an earthly court but I'll tell you this it's impossible for it to ever be undone in a heavenly court. That's why God says I will put my spirit within you and I will take my finger and write my law upon your heart and I will cause you to walk in my ways because I've adopted you and you will be conformed into my image. I guarantee it for my own glory. So repentance should be an ongoing practice in our life. We see it in verse 2. They stood and confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers. They stood and confessed their sins. This was in public. That's what we did this morning. We confessed our sin corporately together. You say, well, that isn't very personal. Well, you know what? Corporate worship isn't about personal. Corporate worship is about the corporate body of Christ. Personal is what takes place between tomorrow and Saturday you get in your prayer closet and you personally repent of your personal sin. You get up in the morning and you have your personal quiet time. If you, want to sing, if you want to sing contemporary Christian music, hymns and choruses and dance around in your boxers in your living room with the blinds drawn, we hope, you can go right ahead and do that and that'll be perfectly fine personal worship. But let me tell you something. When we come together on the Lord's Day, it's not about you personally any longer. It's about the corporate body of Christ coming together. And we are to model that corporately which is supposed to take place privately. That's why we do all the things that we're doing. That's why we confess in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why we read Scripture. That's why we confess our sin. That's why we confess our catechism. Because we're modeling to every individual what the corporate body of Christ is to look like. And we get these examples right here in the Bible. They stood and confessed their sins. Then we see it one more time in verse 33 and we're done. However, you are just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have acted wickedly. They never assumed that God owed them anything. That's what confession does. Confession says, God, I deserve hell, but you're faithful and just. So I come before you as a naked, miserable beggar, and I plead again for mercy. And God says, my mercy is abundant. It's abundant. And I've promised in my word that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead you shall be saved. And I've promised in my word that if you confess your sins I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Glory to God in heaven. We serve a resurrected Savior who paid for all of our sin one time forever. I pray that our life We'll model Nehemiah chapter 9 privately and corporately as we confess our sin and are cleansed and renewed day by day. For time purposes, I'm going to dismiss this from here in prayer. Let's pray.